welcome to the Royal Ascot Players Podcast for the Friday. And back by popular demand is Vanessa Binney Rao, Sky Sports Racing presenter and producer in the UK, who's at Royal Ascot all week. Let's dive straight in. Vanessa, it is so good to have you uh, on the show again. I remember us doing a show last year and we were kind of just discussing that you successfully tipped uh, Campanelli. Of course, Campanelli is running today, well, Friday, the Friday that we're covering as well. But of course, a quick question about how Royal Ascot has been thus far. We're two days in. What is the environment like? Yeah, it's strange basically. Um, Great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, I've done two days so far. And in part, it's very much still Royal Ascot. And they've put a great level of effort in to make it feel even though there's, let's say, roughly 10,000 people there, because I know they're not fully sold out a few of the days. So there's 10,000 people there. And But it still feels like Royal Ascot when you arrive and when you're sort of walking around. But the crowds just obviously never come. So there's loads of space. And that actually is perfectly enjoyable. I mean, I obviously am not like you wouldn't really ever complain about that. That's a very enjoyable um, experience. There's lots of space. You can get a drink. You can get something to eat. And that bit's great. The sad part is when the winners come back in. Just, I don't know, it's... Obviously, there's a splattering of people there and a splattering of a round of applause. But even when it's a pretty big, decent winner, it's not that real Royal Ascot welcome, obviously. You know, when you have a big winner at Royal Ascot, all those steps are just packed out. And if the Queen comes down to present the trophy, then, you know, it's just it's 20 deep around the winner's enclosure. And you just don't have that atmosphere. And that's the part where you really notice it. The rest of the time, you kind of get used to it. You just think it's not a busy day. But when you go down to the winner's enclosure, when Frankie de Tory comes back in on a horse people have backed, then those moments, or even just a winner full stop actually for Frankie because he had a huge price runner today, but those moments are when you notice it the most. Yeah, normally you'd be 20 deep and everyone is cheering and, and crowded and you can barely see Frankie doing his uh, flying dismount. So I guess that is indeed quite different. Now, do you know that Today was a tricky day handicapping. This is Wednesday recording on the Wednesday for the Friday. I'm hoping that you and I are going to have better luck with our Friday card because it was tough going today with all those big prized winners. But let's dive into this. The first race on Friday is the Group 3 Albany Stakes for the two-year-old Phillies. Six furlong the distance. My president, I do believe that sort of your... Lukewarm favorite is Flotus, the number six for Simon and Ed Crisford. Frankie DeTori slated to ride. Uh, she's, you know, a filly with less experience than some of the others in the field. I thought she was quite green in that debut race at Goodwood. Uh, she actually fought the Souza a little bit, but then when he kind of let her go, she just eased forward and, and glided up with ease. She wasn't even really asked until about a furlong and a half out. So definitely a filly that you know, it's got a lot of untapped potential. Are you going with her in this spot? Uh, I probably would take her on, actually. I mean, she is a lukewarm favourite at the moment, and I'm not, you know, I don't know where the market will go come Friday. But for me, I, everyone, the, the, the race that she won at Goodwood was interesting. I was filming that day, and I hadn't seen, so I hadn't been near a TV, and I got home and I was checking my Twitter, 
And everyone was talking about this two-year-old Simon and Ed Crisford horse at Goodwood. And then obviously, naturally, you get to the race replay and I watched the full race replay. And I was kind of waiting for something really like, wow. And for me, it was, don't get me wrong, it was a really nice two-year-old debut performance. But for the hype that was on Twitter, I was a bit like, uh, okay, that wasn't what I was expecting. But anyway, um, apparently her time was good. It was visually a nice performance, but we've seen lots of visually nice performances from two-year-olds this year. That's what happens when they win first time out and who knows how much they're going to step forward. Um, just for me, I think she probably finds herself at the top of the market because they've got Frankie the Tory booked. I did a preview program with Frankie recently. He... Um, is very friendly with the co-owners, I think, is the connection. So that's why he's sort of got the leg up on this horse. And I asked him, do you know anything about Flotus? And, you know, the answer was no. He didn't seem to have any rough idea, even at the time, about any sort of discussion about her in general. And I don't know. I think, like I say, she's there because of him as much as anything, mm -hmm. potentially. I would thought an interesting horse in it was the more experienced Oscula. Um, who won no the way I have her as well. yes continue tell me <laughs> <laughs> well she um she obviously won the woodcut at uh, Epsom last time out and that was a pretty decent field that day that's obviously a pretty strong two-year-old race every year she is from the George Bowie yard George Bowie is a trainer over here who's just been had this incredible strike rate all season long with his two-year-olds just absolutely incredible and this horse on debut uh, was beaten at Kempton by a horse who actually reopposes today. But then she came back out at Brighton, and I was there at Brighton that day. And she's not your typical looking two year old. She's kind of, she's a bit rangier than your typical looking two year old. Mm -hmm. Yet she's now won two on the bounce, including the woodcut, which, like I've touched upon, it was very competitive. She won it so well. A uh, bit of a concern might be the ground. She's won twice on good. But at Epsom, that was the day that it was really raining. And I don't know, the ground was good, but there was a fair bit of cut in it as far as we could all see. Um, and she was impressive that day when others struggled. But the ground at Brighton would have been properly good. And for me, she I was surprised by her price. She's currently eight, nine to one. And I just thought she's probably a bit of value. And you're probably getting a bit of value just because the favourite, as I've touched upon, in my opinion, is there potentially because of connections rather than, I might, I mean, I'm saying this, I might be completely wrong. Of course I might be, but that's just my view with why floats at the top of the market. And that means that you're getting a bit of value elsewhere. And that for me, that value falls Oscula's way. The, the experience she has, has as well. This will be her mm -hmm. fourth start and all the four horses ahead of her in the betting are one one race wonders so far they're all one from one floaters hello you prettiest and cachet um which is really interesting and just because i feel feel like this is a bit of a side note sorry guys but i do often feel like with punting um often in these two-year-old races we i find tend to tend to favor potential over proven a lot of the time mm -hmm. we love the potential tag and this is a sort of case in point. You've got Oscula who's been there, done it, and you know performed at a pretty decent level. And she's shown that she can do it, and this will be a full start. Yet everything ahead in the betting of her is is just one one start, one win. Um, and the couple of horses behind her as well. So that's just a bit of a side note, but I'm going with the experience here over the potential for once. 
Yeah, I second that. I, I took her on that Esco, uh, Epson performance. I, I thought that was very, very decent. Just quick side note, of course, floaters. First thing people in the United States will think of is First Lady of the United States. What it kind of stand for, do you believe? I don't know if they that was intentional. I'm assuming that's the case, but that's a side note um, as well. And I wanted to mention Prettyus, of course, as you said, these are fillies that she's only ran once. She won on heavy gong, but her breeding is so superb. I mean, she first fall out of Alice Springs, who was the fan of Matron Sun Chariot Stakes winner. I remember her uh, racing and, and her dam was just so terrific. So obviously from a pedigree standpoint, love to see the number 12 prettiest do well. But as usual, Aiden O'Brien's runners tend to be uh, very well bred. Move along to the second race uh, on the card. A mile and a half for the group two, King Edward the Seventh Stakes, three-year-old Colt and Geldings. My first question here was who might be the pace in this spot? I must admit that we're kind of spoiled in the United States with uh, you know our past performances that we see all these running lines and we can kind of quickly establish who might want to get to the front. Whereas you know in Europe, you really have to dig a little bit further and perhaps watch a few replays. So how do you see this unfolding? Well, this is... A, I've When I looked at this, I was surprised to see that the William Haggis horse... Alan Kerr is at the top of the betting purely because he was a huge price um, last time out when he won at Sandown it was. But he beat Adea, who's obviously come out and won a derby since. So the form, if you read that directly, is absolutely rock solid. But on the day, Alan Kerr got a terrific ride from the back um, by uh, Tom Marquand, who keeps the ride obviously today, uh, uh, well, on Friday. And it was a brilliant ride. And he, yeah, he was 25 to 1. Now, I don't know. That's, they're not a team that would miss one in the market like that, that regularly. And mm. so I don't know whether they were expecting him to come on dramatically for it, in which case, if he is going to come on for that run and he's beaten a derby winner, then, yeah, he probably does deserve to be the favourite here. Um, but it's just interesting that in behind, I mean, there's so many in this. This is like, this is essentially the race for... Derby horses who weren't quite good enough to get to the Derby is what we're looking at here. Um, I remember someone else told me that and they're just so right. It's just that sort of level down from that real middle distance, absolute top class draw. And it's the sort of next draw down, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, pace wise, I actually have absolutely no idea. Um, I was interested in the horse Tasman Bay for Sir Mark Todd and David Probert. Um, again, a slightly bigger fancied horse here in this. Um, he's he's promised plenty, Tasman Bay, and maybe yet to deliver quite what a few were expecting from him. Um, he's just had the four starts, and he went up to Newcastle. He had one start last year, which was fine, just a bit of a sightseer as a two-year-old. Then he came out and he ran up at Newcastle on the all-weather, and he beat a horse called King Vega of Andrew Baldings. He was five to one on that day. And I seem to remember it was a day that Andrew sent sort of maybe three or four runners up to Newcastle. And I think it, I'm pretty sure it was the day he had a double. And then this was like the third leg of it. And it was sunk by Tasman Bay. And they pulled a really long way. Well, Tasman Bay won nicely. And then it was way back to King Vega and then way back again. Anyway, look, that was just a novice run on the all-weather. But since then, he's run last time out. He went to Newbury and he was beaten there at a bigger price. But then he went to Newmarket. 
And he was expected to go close that day and he was beaten by John Leeper. John Leeper, who was then obviously a very big fancy for the derby, but just didn't seem to handle the track that well. I don't think anyone's written John Leeper off as being a top-class individual for further down the line. And Tasman Bay ran very well, but when you watch that race back, he's just a real work in progress. Mm-hmm. And he's 10-1 to 1 because he does need to step up. But he definitely has the engine that when he puts it all together... A race like this could be well within his capabilities, I feel. Um, It would be Sir Mark Todd's biggest career win. He is the ex-Olympic event rider, a three-day event rider for anyone who doesn't know, and then turned his hand to training racehorses. I went and did a feature with him. It's been quite an interesting development for him because he just took a while. Everyone thought he'd just go into training racehorses and be able to train them. But he himself has confessed, you know, it's a completely different sport, different ball game, different everything. It's taken him a while to get going. And Tasman Bay is his best is his best horse by a long way. I like it. And as well, that juicy 10 to 1 doesn't go amiss. I end up using the number six, the Mediterranean for Aiden O'Brien. Again, I guess I'm teaming up with him there. This is a horse that's a colt, three-year-old colt, more forwardly placed. He's a bit awkward looking. He keeps his head quite high, but it doesn't stop him from continuing to fine. And he only got beaten by three-quarter lengths in his last. And before that, he won decisively. So I thought, you know, that was his step up to list and company. Perhaps he can keep on progressing. And the numbers add up as well as we move along to the commonwealth cup the first of the big ones on the day group one for three-year-old colts and fillies sprinting six furlong did distance and i ended up liking the number 13 this time around i I do remember liking her um when she won at royal ascot in in 2020 i remember us talking about her And, and the reason i like her is i went against her um at Keeneland in that juvenile Phillies turf race because I didn't think she would stay to this. So I wholeheartedly welcome them bringing her back to the sprinting distances and clearly a track that she's very capable of winning over. Yeah, absolutely. And she, well, Wesley Ward, well, I'm I'm confused a little. Well, no, I'm not confused. So far, obviously, we're halfway through proceedings. We know Wesley's mm-hmm. very confident about his horses, but there's definitely been a few horses who I think, if he was to rank his runners over the week, would have been very much near the top of their potential winners. Um, yeah. And so I wonder, it, I'd be interesting to see what happens with Campanelle's, um, with her price, because are people going to keep the faith with Wesley and yeah. back her as if this is her target and this is her... This is her run. Um, Or are they going to sort of abandon ship, in which case you might get a bit of value. My concern with her is her her time off. You know, I'm not entirely sure why we haven't seen her yet. Um, Do you know any answers to that, actually, Naomi? No, I'm not sure either. I remember that I was planning on listening to Nick Luck's podcast because I think he did a whole thing with Wesley Ward. I do know that... You know, it it isn't unlike Wesley Wood to kind of pick and choose his races for some of his older runners. Now, of course, she's not that old. She's only a three-year-old yet. So I I do wonder if there was just a setback and hence uh, he wasn't able to get a run in for her. Because we've we've had a good program here stateside. Now, I know, of course, uh, she had some, you know, had some starts in Europe after she ran at Ascot as well. That really good um, win in Deauville. But yeah, I'm not 100% sure. So I'm trying, I'm not going to make any assumptions here. I, I know that he's in the past just kind of places them wherever he sees fit. But I agree with you because this was also my question with love 
for today. Like, why didn't they give her a run in between? So I, I'm Gina and I ended up kind of going, yeah, that's, you know, you wonder about that sometimes. Like, is that a good or a bad sign? But clearly for love, it didn't matter. Yeah, I just, it would be a bit of a concern for me about Campanella. She's coming in here having to take on horses who, as you would expect, have all had recent runs, have all had a bit of a fitness edge, a sharpness about them. And look, I'm not doubting Wesley Ward. If she's at absolute peak, then she deserves to be, she's relatively lukewarm at the moment, about four to one favourite as we talk now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'd like to see Wesley's horses fire a little bit more. And I think people will take her on as a result of them if they get to Friday and they haven't had a winner, then I think they'll take Campanella on. And for me, I like, I really like this horse, Diligent Harry, for Clive Cox. Clive, okay. who's just an absolute maestro with his sprinters anyway. Everyone knows that by now. It's no secret. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks a lot of this horse. Now, you're, the question mark with him is, can he transfer his all-weather form to the turf? No reason to think he can't, but it's, he's only had four. Well, he's had four runs in his career, and they have all been on the all-weather. And then what's, you know, here he's going to have to step onto the turf for the first time, have a completely different experience than the all-weather tracks he's been running around, and straight in at Group 1 level on the turf. So that definitely is a concern, and I'm not ignoring that. But... I like the way they talk about this horse. He won on all-weather finals day at Lingfield. Now, again, like Lingfield versus Ascot, just completely different tracks. So um, if he can't transfer it, then that would be the excuse for him. But the Lingfield win, was that was in the three-year-old all-weather championships. And he was punted off the boards and went off favourite that day and won very cosily indeed. Just happy out, like a bit of a piece of work, really. Went off two to one in the end. Um, The run before that, he's only been beaten once in his life. And that was the run before that at Lingfield, which was a bit of a shock because he was two to one favourite that day as well. So I think Connections were very hopeful that he was obviously going to go and win that. But he was beaten by a horse called Rohan. Rohan's come out and had an incredible couple of wins on the turf this year already at big prices for the David Evans team. Um, so that 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 form is rock solid, despite the fact he was beaten. And I just think if he can transfer his ability from the all-weather to the turf, and there's no reason to think that he can't with his breeding and everything else, then I think he's probably overpriced in this. And I do think the market's going to change dramatically. Clive has got another horse in that. He's got Supremacy. Now, Supremacy really disappointed on seasonal debut. He was a top two-year-old last year. And he needs to bounce back from that disappointing run. I can actually see Diligent Harry potentially going off, well, definitely shorter than he is now. I guess punters will also latch it. They put blinkers on Supremacy for the first time, which, I mean... His last run was too bad to be true, but they're obviously trying to concentrate his mind a little bit. And stable mm-hmm. jockey Adam Kirby, now Derby winning jockey, has gone for supremacy and he definitely would have had the choice. So that is probably a touch of a negative. But just on their price and ability, I think diligent Harry. We've also got this um, French horse in here, Suessa, the unbeaten horse that William Buick picks the ride upon. The ride was actually offered to Frankie de Tory and he turned it down because he was on Campanelle. So he could have ridden to Essa and went for Campanelle. Um, 
because loyalty to Wesley and, you know, he wasn't, he said, when I asked him, I said, were you tempted to swap? Because a lot of people fancy this French horse. Yeah. And he said, like, she's not won a group one and Campanelle has. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it was a pretty simple decision for me. And I was put right back in my box. I was like, okay, that's great. Wow. Yeah. Do, do you, how do you rate her chances? Because she's, you know, to me, very unexposed still. And, and her figures, if you just look at racing post ratings, they absolutely put her a slap bag in the middle of this field. Yeah, I. there's been a lot of hype about her over here. A lot of like, dare I say, shrewd judges in inverted commas, which <laughs> I hate listening to. But there are a lot of people who think this horse is the absolute real deal. And obviously we, in this year, we have very few French raiders. So it's brilliant that she's coming over, but there's no doubt about it that she has to she has to step up on what we've seen of her so far because we've only seen her in Group Three company and look she's winning she's beating what she's beating but you know she was two to one on favour or something stupid the last day like she should have won the way she did you know yeah. um, this is definitely a bigger test and I think she is another one who you know price is a touch compressed because of the sort of hype around her would be my view. Hmm. Yeah, I quickly getting back to the, the Cox runners. I liked Supremacy. I'm hoping that that was just, you know, a seasonal reappearance, a little bit of. Well, it was too bad to be true. Wasn't yeah. It? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. On what we so... saw last year, he's not, you know, he was a top class two year old. He's not digressed that much. That was just too bad to be true. So you're just hopeful that they've got him back on track. And the fact Adam is on him is definitely a positive. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Let's move on to the Coronation Stakes, because otherwise uh, we're going to be here for a while. Group 1 Coronation Stakes, and you're good. Over a mile for the three-year-old Phillies. And uh, I looked through this, and my note said, Mother Earth all the way. So where are you going, Vanessa? Um, Yeah, I think I would probably be with you on that, to be honest with you. Again, a bit of just Frankie the Tory insight asked him about um, winning the guineas on Mother Earth and, you know, what, what like, everyone, a lot of people said that that was a brilliant ride by Frankie. The ride he gave her that day was very much sort of applauded as something special because uh, she was kind of held up and then she was out towards the far side and she didn't, it, some people viewed that as not the most ideal run. But mm-hmm. Frankie just sort of, like, shrugged that off and was like, she's just a really good filly. She ran a really good race and I didn't have any other option. It wasn't a good ride. I just literally rode the filly like as it came. Like he's yeah. sort of very actually sort of self-deprecating in that sense. Um, and I think she I think she wins this actually kind of not entirely uh, insightful there. But obviously we know how well tried she was last year. And then she's come out and she's shown yeah. in two guineas that she's pretty high quality. She was probably unlucky in the last run and um, her guineas win was pretty impressive the way she did it, the way she traveled through it. I think it's interesting that they're going to ride alcohol free differently. I know Sheen Murphy said that, um, you know, he's going to try a few different tactics with her, but hasn't like quite revealed what they were. But if you go back and look, look at the Guineas win, uh, sorry, Guineas run. Mm -hmm. uh, She's another one, you know, top class two year old. Then she came out, she went on seasonal debut and they, they made it very clear. She was going to come on for that run. I think, you know, in the guineas, the in the one thousand guineas, there definitely was some uh, hard luck stories. And alcohol free just never had the right posse, was never in the right position throughout the race, and she ran a pretty decent effort to be fifth. Um, I'd be definitely watching brief with her. Then you've got likes of like Potter Pover, 
So Michael Stout, the Royal Ascot's most successful trainer, and he's bringing this two from two filly into proceedings for Cheveley Park, be, you know, completely throwing her in the deep end. I mean, she's had very limited experience and in much, much, much shallower waters, and he's throwing her in her in there. But to get round to it, it's take enough time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I actually am going to fall away of pretty gorgeous in this for um, just because I like to take on. Yeah, I think Mother Earth is the class act. Pretty gorgeous ran in the Irish 1000 guineas when going off favourite. And I think they really expected A, more from her, but B, they were disappointed with the ground. And then they also definitely towards the day realised that she was going to come on hugely for the run. She was top class last year and she always looked like she was going to be a better three-year-old. I'm not going to judge her on her three-year-old debut. I'm keeping the faith with her and she has the benefit of Frankie Dettori on board. If we if we had to sum it up, you would go pretty gorgeous and then Mother Earth and then alcohol-free kind of in I this? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I don't think they'll run Snow Lantern if we get all this rain. I think the race potentially could cut up with a couple of other non-runners. But it's actually this is actually one of the races of the of the week. If the field that's currently docked up lines up, it really is one of the races of the week because I can just scroll down and make cases for pretty much everything in this. <laughs> like it's full of class. I agree with you. I agree with you. I just, I was a bit biased because I saw Mother Earth at Keeneland and I had her for that exacta with Aunt Pearl. So she made me money and I just thought she was such a terrific progressive fitty. So then, you know, how she continued and perhaps, you know, at Longchamp, that was like, what, two weeks after her Guineas win and that was on very soft ground. And I was like, yeah, no, that's fine. She comes in here in, mu in much better form or in much better sort of, you know, but some time in between, I think this works that way better. Let's move on to the Sandringham stakes five o'clock local time over the straight mile for three-year-old fillies it's a handicap now this this is a big field um 30 runners i do believe there's 32 in there because they've got some reserves as well where are you looking because clearly this is a spot for a couple of prize plays right it's got to be a spot for a couple of i mean this this is a race that's landed some real gambles in the past um there's been there's been horses win this that have been punted off the boards and gone off well fancied in the end, but definitely weren't like definitely not two days before and not even on the morning of really. So there's definitely some value to be had. Um, I mean, it's great to see Holly Doyle's jocked up for the Queen. I love that sort of thing. She's on a really unexposed type for William Haggis in companionship, who's just a very... Um, well, look, like she only had the three runs thus far. She's heading straight into this sort of very competitive handicap. She'd need to step up. But that was an eye-catching ride for Holly in the Queen's Colours. Just a bit of a side note. Um, but in terms of who I actually would recommend, I don't know. I, I kind of got a bit lost along the way digging into this. Samut for Jim Crowley and Sir Michael Stout um, had looked very progressive and has bred beautifully. Uh, won two on the bounce and then disappointed when really should have won at, I think it was, it was Wolverhampton, I think it was. It was some not, like, she really should have won that day. Uh, but she just never, she just didn't put her best foot forward for whatever reason. She's back on the turf now. Uh, Jim's had a relatively quiet time of it, but Sir Michael Stout's horses have been running well without actually hitting the back of the net. And up until that last run, Samut would have been half the price she is for this race off the back of what she'd done so far. 
um but she's just she's drift she's obviously not that price she's about 16 so she'd be an each way play for me um but she did break a few hearts when getting turned over at odds on at wolverhampton so you're gonna have to forgive her that run but because it's such a competitive handicap um, like I say, cases for so many of them in there. I think at the moment it's Ryan Moore and Aidan O'Brien at the top of the bedding again, but in a wide, <laughs> wide, wide open field. Yeah, I, I was looking at this and I'm going, whew, okay, who, who, who do I go with? I ended up landing, looking a bit deeper into the number seven star of Emirati because this is going to be her third start for the Gosdens. Um, I think she was with Kevin Ryan before and, and they campaigned her, they can paint her at pretty high level as a two-year-old. You know, she was in all the right races. I think she was, yeah, she was in the Thousand Guineas. She was in Nell Gwyn. And it's going to be her third start. And, and they were happy enough with her run two starts back um, to put her put her back at the top of the level, which I thought was kind of telling for, for a stable that would have, you know, plenty of talented fillies to put into those races. I think they she made the stable debut in the Nell Gwyn. That was it. And then she went to the Thousand Guineas. Now, she didn't, do that well in there she was well beaten by mother earth but of course this you know this is a handicap so i thought it was kind of telling that they now decide to perhaps go for a less competitive race for her than some of the you know out and out stars that she's faced in the past so i just took some interest to her for that reason for a very you know very strong stable and then i liked uh beheld as well which i'm trying to scroll down through this huge field i think it's a number 24 yeah it is a oh. number 23 yeah, this is such a big field you're just because she's super unexposed for roger charlton and, and she won on debut and then she's run second twice once by a short head and once by uh, a length and a quarter that was at kempton and she got you know she got competitive racing post ratings and she's by Franco. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, Let, let's go with, with a shot with her there. I think Beheld is 22 to one. And then star of Emirati is 40 to one, I think. So then those are, my, those are my prize plays in here, but you know, this Love is, it. this is obviously tricky. So let's move on to the next race so we can get the last two in as well. Uh, 5.35 Duke of Edinburgh stakes. Also a handicap mile and a half here for three-year-olds and, up and i think this is a less big field than the ones that we were looking at before i don't think there's 30 in here no there's 19 in here so hopefully that makes it slightly easier was there anyone that caught your eye in here vanessa yeah i actually really like dark pine in this who's a pretty decent price i think currently um dark pine used to be a moigler stud horse and used to be trained by dermot weld was picked up very shrewdly by David Lochnane and is ridden by Laura Pearson, who brilliantly rode her first Royal Ascot winner today. Um, a lot of people are happy for her. She's a great jockey, great value for her £5 claim. Um, you've got this horse, Dark Pine, who comes in here off the back of winning at Chester on the turf last time. Beating Fox Tal, he's one of those horses who never wants to go through and actually win his race. He was a huge price at Chester, but watch the way he travelled through. I mean, his value for way more than the neck win he actually managed, the winning distance he managed to win by. This is a very progressive horse. They were delighted to pick him up. They ran him twice in the sales. They ran him twice um, on the all-weather. And the first time, he was completely overlooked in the market. The second time, he certainly was not missed. They then took him to Kempton, where he disappointed over just a touch further, and things didn't go well for him that day. And so that's why he went up to Chester and was such a big price. But I think he really will appreciate being back on the turf again now. I think what he was doing on the all-weather was kind of potentially despite... Um, the, despite the surface, I think he is a proper turf horse. And 
he's just one of those horses who's thrived since coming over here for whatever reason. Dermot Wells couldn't win with him. And now David Lotnane has won twice with uh, three times with him. So it's pretty incredible. But I just, that Chester run, honestly, value for so much more than it, than he's been put up. He's been put up four for that run. Um, and Fox Tal is one of those horses who essentially should be a group horse. Absolutely should be a group horse. But he's just tricky. And he doesn't ever go through with it. And he doesn't always put his best foot forward. But that was a really competitive Chester race. And in this, for me, Dark Pine was a standout at a relatively big price. Yeah, 20 to 1 I'm seeing here on the Racing Post website, which is huge. I like the number 13, Quick Thorn. Uh, just a couple of, you know, if you look at the field, some horses are trying to regain their form. And it seems to me like this lad is uh, going back up again. Sheen Murphy retains the ride here for Yui Morrison. Now, he's a bit of a shorter price than your price, baby. Uh, he's 7 to 1, so that is the number 13. As we'll uh, try and wrap things up here with the final race on the card, which is a 6.10 local time, Palace of Holyrood House Stakes, also a handicap this time, sprinting for the three-year-olds. And I ended up going with the number six. Let me double check that number again, because I managed to get all my numbers uh, shaken up when I was trying to write them in. I was comp- For everyone that obviously wasn't tuned in to us discussing Roy Ascot before, um, because they have two numbers here, the number and then the draw. And apparently it doesn't always correspond when you just number the form that I got from mm-hmm. Racing Post. But it is the number six, Warrior Brave. Uh, I feel like this is a three-year-old gelding that absolutely relishes this five furlong distance, just a five furlong expert. And he's just been steadily progressing through the grade. His last run was at li- was a listed race. So that was kind of that listed class that you're looking for. And he held his own pretty nicely. He only got beaten by three quarter lengths, which I thought was good enough to come back in here and, and do pretty decently. I think that was the... Um, Coral beaten by length three bet scurry stakes. That's a brilliant name. <laughs> so I'm taking the number the number six here in the last race. So who do you like? Um, again, wide open, very competitive yeah. three year old handicap. You Twenty five yeah. runners. In I here. mean, honestly, these Ascot races. When trainers say it's hard to win there, you look at a stable like I don't know. I was looking the other day at Andrew Balding's runners. He's had a brilliant year, right? Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, even having runners at Ascot, he wouldn't have as many runners as you would expect, potentially, given the brilliant year he's had. Same with some of the top, top yards. Having runners is hard. Having yeah. winners is, I mean, no wonder they celebrate them like they're going to die that night. I mean, they like are so hard to come by. And I this sort of race I look at and I'm just like, for goodness sakes, where to start? I did fall upon Popmaster, the number 12 horse, for Tom Marquand and Ed Walker. Ed Walker's got quite an incredible stat going on. Last year at Royal Ascot, he had one runner. One runner. That runner was called Swindler, who is notoriously tricky and never entered the stalls. So he had one runner and it didn't even start. This year, he's had t- he'll have 10 runners across the week. Wow. So in 12 months, you know, his yard and his quality of horse and say it swings and roundabouts, but it really is. Uh, But just to bring it back to this pop master, this is bringing in the line of form I was talking about earlier with Diligent Harry and Rohan. So I've tipped Mm -hmm. up Diligent Harry in the Commonwealth Cup. Well, Diligent Harry and Rohan beat pop master at Lingfield one day. 
Um, that bit of form is turning out to, well, I hope, well, has already with Rohan turn, and Diligent Harry turned out to be decent, but it could become a really decent pick of form. Since then, he's run twice on the on the turf. He's finished second both times, but bumped into very progressive types. Now, the key is with him is they're dropping him back down to the minimum trip today. They're dropping him down to the five furlongs from the six furlongs. And we can't say that that's going to be an issue because he's never actually run over five. He started mm-hmm. at six. Um, I, the only, well, I think he has the pace for it. They're a shrewd team. They would have had other options for this horse and they've chosen to drop him down off this mark in this sort of handicap. Um, I, the start might be a touch tricky potentially. I mean, he's not been that bad at the start, but he won't want to be slow out the stalls, um, in a five run in a five furlong race at Ascot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he definitely, that, that line of form I like, and he's not been running badly. He's bumped into a couple and the five furlong drop down could be just what he needs. I like it. The number 12 pop master for you and then the number six warrior brave for me. As you mentioned, I mean, Michael Appleby has had quite, <laughs> it's doing pretty all right. And in general, it, it's hard to win at Royal Ascot. So I feel like sometimes we're just taking a stab. So hopefully we can get a couple prize prize horses in on the day if you you know were to bump into someone and you got a champagne in your hand fee and they ask you for one bet do you have a horse in mind i'm putting you on the spot here i do apologize uh diligent harry in the commonwealth cup yeah i i really i made my case from i really like him mm-hmm. i think that's i think there's i don't think we've seen it i don't think we've seen the best of him i like it so that's the third race the number two diligent harry fee thank you so much and good luck throughout the rest of the week Thank you. And thanks for having me on again. Look, Vanessa is the best. This was her after a after an incredible long day at Royal Ascot. Two days down, three more to go. We recorded on the Wednesday. This, of course, covers all the Friday action. Let's hope we can pick you some big prize winners because, whew, if anything was proven on the Tuesday is that it is tough to win at Royal Ascot. Big prized winners galore, aside from, of course, love in the Prince's Prince of Wales's stakes. That will do for us today. Of course, tomorrow, PTF will be back with the final day at Royal Ascot. Tune in and good luck. 